0: Hello, wonderful people. Welcome to The Healing Snowflake. We are here to discuss and ponder over some things that we may have been avoiding. Let's connect and evolve together to learn, unlearn and relearn. Hello again, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Healing Snowflake. It's me, your host, Jenny. Now, this is a very special episode and not many people get to have this opportunity. Um, family, I would like to introduce you to my guest, Gillian McMichael. Hello, Gillian. Hello. So uh, Gillian, you are the UK's leading transformational wellness coach with over 20 years of experience in helping people find meaning and joy in their lives. You are also the author of one of my favourite books, and it is called Coming Home, A Guide to Being Your True Self. Now, for those of you who know me will know about this book because I bang on about it nonstop and it's a bit, as you can see, it's a bit tatty, full of bookmarks, and a couple of pages are stained with chocolate from my uh, little children's um, fingers, dirty finger marks, but it's only because I love it, and I take it everywhere I go, and it serves as daily mantras for me, and I've read it four times, I'll always refer back to it, and it's just to remind me to repeat these, um, like I said, these mantras and daily mental exercises that this provides for me. So uh, what I want to do with this episode is to go through some of the most poignant parts of the book that has really shifted and framed my life for the better. I mean, we are doing this with the actual author of the book, so it can't get any better than this. So um, Gillian, the title of the book is one of the reasons that it actually caught my attention. Coming Home, A Guide to Being Your True Self. What did you mean by this? Well, I
1: suppose when I thought about what I wanted to write about, um, you know, and it's a a true reflection of my own story and what happened to me from being eight years old all the way up to being where I am now, I kind of really wanted to capture the idea that we get lost, we get disconnected from ourselves. Um, We sometimes, it can be really difficult to come back home to ourselves because we play roles. We want to fit in. We want to belong. We want to be liked. And I was one of those people. And I think you just get lost. And I think it's so important to find a way back home, but also it's important that you understand what back home actually looks and feels like. And so I suppose what I did is I, when I realized that I was lost and i took me many many years to figure that one out. Um I wanted to kind of capture that and I think coming home just feels you know it's that cozy space. It's that sense of ah this is where I belong. This is who I am. Yeah. And this is what I'm offering the world and it just feels really safe and warm and and cozy as your home should be. Mm. And it was and I suppose I wanted to create a guide really to help people learn and understand what actually being true to themselves really is so that they could come back home.
0: Mm. And you said that so beautifully, Gillian, because when I have conversations with my friends, fellow millennials, this is a big problem for us because we are conditioned by a lot of things that really took our time away from getting to know ourselves. Um, What I really liked about this book um, is that the journey that you were trying to describe is broken down into bite-sized pieces. Mm -hmm. And what you do is you weave in your personal experiences and reflect the lessons that it has taught you and hopefully to aid others. Now, um, obviously we are two women from different backgrounds, different cultures, different generation, but your, reading your story was so incredibly relatable. And the events itself were different, but the lesson was the same. Mm-hmm. And your story is so inspiring, captivating, yet I felt held and understood. Um. After reading this book, I was trying to describe how I felt after reading it. Um, I read it in two days, actually, when I first got it. I read it four times, but I read it in two days. And I mean this in the most positive way, but it was like a slap in the face (laughs) because it woke me up to the fact that I need to stop defining myself through the traumas and painful things that have happened to me and but instead to utilize them and to shape me and aid me to be the person that I actually want to be so first of all thank you for that um would you say that that's a fair review and what you actually wanted people to feel after reading your book?
1: Yeah, well, I wouldn't describe it as a slap in the face, (laughs) but I quite like the idea of that. It was like a a, a
0: gentle awakening (laughs) kind of slap in the face because it was, um, because I feel like there's a lot of, you can get lost in the sea of self-help books now. And I've found after reading and looking at quotes on social media that a lot of it is quite unhelpful. So for example, just as an example, I would read something like get rid of all the toxic people in your life. And I'm thinking, okay, but that's not helpful. I could do that, but it's not actually helping me. So this was, it was a reality check, I would say. Yeah. And I think what I wanted to do is to provide people with a practical guide.
1: I wanted, because to be honest, those steps that are in the book are the steps that I've taken myself. And You know, she described. I'm a transformational coach. Been doing it for 20 years, and so a lot of the principles and the exercises are things that you know I've done over the years with with my clients. And I suppose for me, I wanted it just to be an opportunity for people to read the chapter and then know how. Yeah, they could then take that step because I, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of motivational quotes. There's a lot of people saying what you should be doing, but we don't necessarily get the how. And I think the how is kind of those exercises in the book. Yeah.
0: And we're not talking exercises like we know that doing squats would make your bum look better. (laughs) We're talking mental exercises and that is in itself is harder work really than physical, I would say. Yeah. So um, what I want to do is read some parts of the book, obviously can't read all of it, although I would love to. Maybe um, if Gillian um, would allow me, I can read the whole book and put it on a YouTube video. But I, want, I wanted to pick out certain parts of the book and that, so that we can break that down a little sure. bit. So as you can see, <laughs> I have quite a few uh, bookmarks on here, but from your introduction, I found this really, really touching. So I'll read it out to you. I was functioning, but I was lost. I could barely recognise myself. I hadn't realised that I'd been playing roles for most of my life, all to aid my need to fit in, be liked and to belong. I'd accepted those roles and had played them well over the years, but now I had to do something different. I had to figure out who I was. The realisation of this crept up on me over the first months of my survival, but I didn't know what to do with this new awareness. Um, I love this part and I really resonated with I'd been playing roles for most of my life. Um, Why do you think that humans have this innate need to belong and why, why is it embedded in us? Why is it so important? I mean, I think it's most probably just part of the whole kind of human condition. And
1: I think, you know, if we think about that, we are consciousness, that we, you know, we have a path to walk and all those things, and even go back to the basics around um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, there is this sense of belonging. It it's right in the middle of that triangle of Maslow's hierarchy. And I think we all want to belong. We need other people, you know, as, a, as you know, humans like to build, right, you know, back from cavemen mm-hmm. and women era, you know. We created tribes and settlements and all of these things. And so we're not meant to be on our own. We're meant to have connection mm-hmm. with others, with ourselves. Um, and I think it's, it's just ingrained that actually we do want to belong. The problem is, is that when our belonging comes from a place of fear, yeah. of vulnerability, then what can happen is that we, we lose sight of that true sense of connection. And I think the key thing is, is actually what we need to do from a belonging perspective is find belonging within. But I think most of us try to seek belonging outside of ourselves, hence the many roles and the many parts that I played to try to fit in and to belong. Because when you don't feel that you fit, and I think a lot of people don't feel like they fit or they belong, then we start questioning, well, what's all that about? What's wrong with me? I, you know, I must be different. and of course, we're all unique and all different. Um, and what, but the problem is what society creates is cliques. It creates groups of people um, that if you're a person that doesn't feel that they fit or belong, then all we do is strive to be part of that, the cool gang or the cool group of girls at school or whatever that might be. Um, so I think in essence, the, the, the answer to the question is I think we all have a need to belong because it's ingrained. It's in our innate way of being that like we shouldn't be on our own. But I think a lot of us struggle with that connection and sense of belonging because most of us or a lot of us can sometimes feel like we're living our life on the sidelines, mm-hmm. not necessarily part of the, the main part of life.
0: Yeah. I'm just trying to absorb everything that you're saying because it's just, it's so true. And the thing is, when I, when I made a point earlier that this is a problem for my generation would you would you say that that's accurate or is everyone I would say it's most
1: probably a lot of people across all generations Mm -hmm. I think maybe from your own experience I'm not in your generation I'm a couple of generations you know (laughs) ahead kind of sense but I think uh, you know when I look back at my my years it was happening for me then it was happening for other people Mm -hmm. then and I also think it's relevant for All the generations, really. But I I, I think sometimes when you're in that generation or you've had an experience where you don't feel like you belong or you play roles to try and accommodate and to fit in and to be liked and all of those things, um, then I think it becomes very relevant for each generation.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think I'm, I asked that question because I was putting a lot of importance regarding social media. Yeah. Because... I was discussing this with you earlier that our my generation millennials I mean I hate to use that word but I'm trying to you know um naming our generation we are the millennials so anyone I would say born from 1980 to 1990 um the internet came thick and fast mm-hmm. from when we were in in our late teenagers until in in our early 20s and I feel like that was a very um, impressionable age. Yeah. And we it born born from that uh, internet age is people us looking at the highlights of people's lives. Yeah. And we're not looking at everyone's lives in its entirety. So everyone was showing the best bits of their life. I did it. I was doing it myself for the longest while. You know, I didn't want to show any vulnerability or anything negative at all. Mm-hmm. And it's only really now that I'm very conscious of what I put on social, sh- social media. Am I being real? Am I being authentic? Yeah. Um, this, um, there's a part of the book where you did talk about social media, our lives with social media now. So, and I think it really, really describes our relationship with the internet. So this part. Virtual connections can be useful but not at the cost of losing the connection with yourself. Most of us have become comfortable with this way of living and what I would call role-playing. Pretending that life is awesome, having a huge following of friends, showing others how good you look in forced poses with fake smiles and showcasing where you are in the world, what you're doing and with who. When we are in these spaces, we lose, we lose the true meaning of being connected and in the moment. Instead, our focus is on ex- external validation and being wrapped up in what others think of us. All of this takes us further away from our true selves. And the only way we can get back to ourselves is by making the commitment to quietening the mind by finding stillness within. Now, when I read this part, Gillian, I'm not joking. I was on holiday in Italy and I was reading it by the beach and I thought, oh my goodness, I, I do that so much. And in the past, really my whole persona was my Instagram page where I would do these things that you talked about, forced poses with fake smiles and showcasing where you are in the world. And what message was I really trying to give by doing that? Because I remember all these times when I was on holiday and in a privileged position where I was um, able to afford Mm -hmm. going Mm -hmm. to these kind of places. And I was thinking back and I was thinking, you were actually very, very sad back then, but you forced a smile and you looked fantastic in that photo. But was it you? And was it what, what, what was going on at the time? And that's, this is what I mean when I said it. it's like a little bit of a slap in the face because nobody wants to hear that, but it's true. And it's happening now. And it's, it's dangerous, really. I think the thing with social media, look, it's there, you know, what
1: Facebook, there was other things, but Facebook then came out, didn't it? Most probably yeah. was the first thing before Instagram yeah. and all of that kind of thing, if I remember rightly. Um, and I, I was, I was never really on social media when I was younger because it didn't exist. You know, when I set up my business in what, 2004, the internet didn't even exist, you know? And so, so I, I think, but I think what we do is we want to project that we're cool that we've got the best body, that we've got the best friendships, we've got the best life, because again, we've been conditioned and we've been force-fed to be a particular way. Now, as a woman who's now in her fifties, always having to compare and contrast around—well, am I thin enough? Yeah. You know, um, my boobs are too big. You know, I'm not attractive enough. You know, my hair's not long enough. I've not got—you know—all of all of these things that you go through as a female. and I'm, I'm, I know guys go through the same thing as yeah. well. Um. But for me, I think we, we, we force ourselves into giving this perfect picture. And I think the reality is, is that that is just a snippet of what is really happening in our lives. And I think sometimes we force those poses because we want to be seen as having all the stuff that everyone else is doing. Mm. And I think we want to keep up with the Joneses. You know, we want to be seen as everybody else is seen. Yeah. And I don't think that's a real projection of who we really are. Mm. And I think it's just a fake existence. Mm. Now, obviously, I use social media for my work. I use social, I've i got my own social media following and all of those things. But I would like to think that I'm trying to portray something real. And I think what I've learned over the years is that the more vulnerable you can be,
0: mm.
1: the more you tell the truth, yeah. actually, the more interesting you are. And actually, the more people respect and like you for that. Mm. But I think we're still living in a very fake existence. So in my day, we had the supermodels, you know, the Kate Mosses, the Naomi Campbells, you know, the all the Cindy Crawfords and all of them, and, and, and they were plastered in every single magazine. And so, you would all, so although we, you know, you now have, we have the internet and yeah. social media, we were, as I was, as girls looking through, oh, I need to be thinner. I need to have longer hair. I need to change my hair.
0: It was the same thing, but from a different but,
1: source. But it's a, in a yeah. different source. So it's always been going on. But I think the difference is, is that in my day, you wouldn't capture it on your phone and stick it and share it with other people. You yeah. would just feel shit, to be honest, yeah. because you didn't look or feel the same as anybody else.
0: Gosh, such a good point. And the fact that, you know, there's this thing now called doom scrolling, because, you know, for you to look at magazine, you have to turn a page. Yeah. You have to buy the magazine with money. But now well, it's just it's there, yeah. available at your fingertips and you can't escape it. It's just oh. and it's I, everywhere. And I do think the thing is with social media, I also think it's quite addictive. Very addictive.
1: So I think you fill your space and your time with scrolling. Mm. Again, there's nothing wrong in that. I'm not, try- I'm not really judging that massively. But I think if it's, if it's making you feel rubbish about yourself mm. and it's not a true reflection of who you are, then why are you doing it? because actually it takes up a lot of time and energy
0: and it's very um just as an example I have a friend she's like a. she's a successful influencer she has many followers on Instagram and she's in my eyes she's just so beautiful i you know she knows that I tell her all the time I'm jealous of this or what this what again she lives um I feel like she lives an amazing life and she put out something a couple of weeks ago and somebody made like a negative comment about her body and we had a chat about it and she was like that comment really affected me and in my head I was thinking why but at the same time I put myself in her shoes I would absolutely feel the same way but nobody likes anybody saying anything bad about them Yeah, I got somebody comment on my
1: eyebrows. You need to get your eyebrows done. (laughs) I was like, if that's all you've got to comment on, well, that's fine. I'll take that. But I think it's interesting because I think regardless of what age you are, a negative comment is a negative comment. Mm. And even though you might be beautiful and Mm. all of those things and whole and, you know, kind of accepting of who you are, I still think people can be mean and people, I think maybe the differences, especially the millennial generation and the younger generations uh, that have followed, is that it's just so out there now. Whereas before, somebody might just say something behind your back down the corridor at school, or somebody might say something to you at work or something mm-hmm. like that, where it would be cutting and it would hurtful, but you wouldn't say the same things. Mm. But now we can get away with it more. Yeah, you can. And I think that's the, that's the challenging yeah. bit about the society that we're living in is that people feel it's okay to comment. Mm. But would they really say that to your face?
0: Yeah. And I'm it's not, so easy.
1: I'm to not quite be quite sure behind yeah. the screen is not it? it. To just say well, you're just you want. a you're just a, a voice. Yeah, but you know you you're not actually owning mm. up to it. And I don't think really being truly accountable mm. for what you're actually saying because you can hide behind mm. your handle or whatever yeah, it might exactly,
0: be. Yeah, and. Reading this part of the book, um, I highlighted the part where you said Mm role-playing, did a lot of role-playing because I really resonated with that because I did that a lot when I was younger. And I would say that you don't really realise that you're doing it at the time, but when you look back, you think, oh, I actually tried to change myself so many times to be able to fit in. But since I would say I've been on a healing journey from that. So now I'm on this public space where I mm-hmm. put my content out for whoever to see. I don't, you know, I don't put it out to specific people. Everybody can watch mm-hmm. it. And my third video, I somebody made a comment which was slightly negative, but younger me, that would have absolutely flawed me because anything negative coming my way, I would have taken it so personally. and. It would have taken me a long time to recover from it. But I remember thinking, I remember I read that comment and I didn't feel anything. I was like, oh, that's like somebody making a comment about whatever. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel hot headed from it. And I thought, wow, is this, am I growing up or am I healing from that situation? Because if a younger me would have read that comment, and be like, okay, maybe I need to change how I do this podcast to cater for that one person, you know, and that's the people, these are in me, I Mm -hmm. guess, isn't Mm -hmm. it? Um, So when you talked about role-playing, what part of your life would you say that that was? Oh God, right. So I would say most probably
1: that was mainly, well, I think it must probably started when I was about eight years old. Mm. Um, when I had my first really bad kind of bullying experience and, I, I would moved house when I was younger to a new town and all of that kind of thing. And so I joined a school, which was a very local school. It had, they had a lot of cliques in that school. So a newcomer coming in, who spoke differently with a different accent and all of that, kind of, even though, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's not a massive different accent, but it, I suppose, you know, it, it felt very alien to yeah. me to not be welcomed and to not be um, immediately make friends. My brother fitted in brilliantly, but for me, it, it I didn't really have any strong connections. And so when, you know, I got chased by the whole school (laughs) up the road and kicked and punched and, you know, at at, at eight years old and holding my brother's hand and crying, you know, and all those, it was quite traumatic at the time. I mean, it kind of sounds sounds really trivial now, but actually at the time it was quite huge. And then coming home and then your dad losing your temper with you to say, well, why didn't you fight back? Mm. You know, and actually I needed somebody just to kind of nurture me and tell me, you know, it's fine. It's going to be all right. But instead he said, you know, you should have fought back. You should have punched yeah, her. You know, like, yeah, and I was like, and he was just trying to be protective in his own mm. way. But but that whole incident then, and actually what it did is I felt, one, humiliated. I felt embarrassed. I didn't stand up for myself. Mm-hmm. I ran. I was chicken, basically, because mm-hmm. I was scared. Um, and there was all these people here, you know, f- I mean, the whole school followed me home. I and mean, it was like hundreds of kids following me home all outside our house. and. And it was quite scary. And so I think for me, that was when I realized that if I was to survive, I needed to be different. Yeah. So I stopped being the confident me. I said things to fit in and to be liked. I was a chameleon. Um, so, you know, if, for example, I was always a person, my mom and dad had taught me to be confident, to look people in the eye when I was talking to them. And so I started to just be quiet. I started not to be confident. Um, And I just started to just say things that people wanted to hear. And and that continued from being eight years old, I'm going to say, until being 40 years old or 37 years old. Mm. And that followed me around for for most of my, well, yeah, for a lot of my life. Mm. And I think it's because... I was protecting myself from getting hurt. Mm. But I think the downside to that is that you lose yourself because you lose that connection with who you really are. Uh And it impacts everything. It certainly impacted everything, the decisions I made, my confidence, my self-belief, my self-worth. Yeah. Um, and then I found myself in situations that just then compounded those feelings Mm -hmm. that I had that just made circumstances just make me feel even. Even less confident and less true to me. Mm. And I think when you play those many roles, mm. um, so like the dutiful daughter, the the the, the friend, yeah. um, the good friend, the the the, the you know the, the the conscientious student, the the daughter, the sister, you know, all you play all of these different roles, and obviously all these roles are what we have all the time. Um, but when you do them in a way that all you're doing is trying to please other people. Mm. or to fit in or or not to be seen um then it becomes really difficult then as an adult to really truly understand who you are and I think that's what happened to well I know that's what happened to me
0: I and I really relate to that a lot and would you say that a lot of people's problems now especially when they realize that Things are deep rooted and it stems from a lot of things are surfacing from your trauma and your childhood. How important is it to face that and to recognise that a lot of the damaging things that you're doing to your life now is not addressing that younger side of you? Would you say would you say that that's right? You say would you, would you say that there's a big importance in getting in touch with your th- younger self? I, I think there is. And obviously there's in a child work and things like that, that you can do
1: from a psychological perspective. You could get coached, you could get yeah. tr- get uh, therapy, counselling, whatever. There's, there's lots of things that you can do. Mm. I think the key thing, though, if you didn't even have any of those, is to stop hiding away. Mm. And just to actually acknowledge, you know, because obviously I got bullied at eight, but that bullying went all the way on into my early 20s. You know, and then I had it in my uh, working environments. I had it in my then my first marriage, and, and so you kind of attract, yeah. And so I think if you don't address it, then all you do is you keep doing the same because your mechanism of living or surviving, or mm. you know, you're certainly not thriving. Put it that mm. way. Um, I think you just go through the motions and you just do what you're meant to be doing. You just do what you think you should be doing. And so I think if you don't address it, I think then you'll always live that life.
0: Mm. And, and it surfaces in some, it always surfaces. It does, and there's always, there's
1: always a circumstance or a situation that you might find yourself in or a conversation that you might have or, or another an incident or something mm. that will trigger or will give you the opportunity to mm. waken up and mm. to understand.
0: So in your book, oh, you just summed it up so perfectly with um, talking about your experience of people pleasing and what you, what you know it as within yourself. So this part, okay. We believe that if we are true to ourselves, we will let people down. People may not like us. We often see being true to ourselves as a big task. We're too busy and don't have the time. And this can become our excuse. Will I still be liked? And will I belong? The question, what will people think of me? And more than anything, what happens if I fail at this? Come from your passive passenger voice. Uh The one that wants you to remain in your comfort zone to keep you safe. The passive passenger voice is the ego. One that we all have. You will notice the ego has many voices. As we go through this journey together, you will get to know the ego and when it is present. Regardless of how it presents itself, it is there. We just need to figure out how to manage it. In this case, it's the voice that tells you it's okay to keep playing the roles and to keep hold of the labels because it's what you know. It's familiar. Familiarity familiarity, gives us great comfort. And if we allow it, it will keep us locked into the same pattern of behavior and the same belief systems. Mm -hmm. So... It's when you said the word familiar and yeah. ego. And I didn't think that those things had anything to do with people pleasing, to be honest. But it absolutely, it centers around it.
1: Could you um, tell us more about? Well, look, we all have the ego. The ego resides within us all. And the ego, for me, resides very much in the mind. Yeah. Um, it's there to protect us, to keep us safe. It's most probably been very useful throughout our lives
0: self-serving it's self-serving
1: yeah, at particular times but it can also be our biggest nemesis as well because it's the voice that does tell us to keep small to stay as you are mm. stay in your comfort zone don't step out of there because you just don't know what's on the other side of that Yeah, you know and i think it's easier sometimes to stay in that place even though it could be really uncomfortable um and i think for me when we 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 kind of i think the key thing is that throughout our lives perhaps we have to learn to Manage the ego because the ego is never going to go away and it will have different voices. And as you've read the book, you know that mm. there's the passive voice, there's the, the critical voice, you know, there's the, the cynicism, there's, there's all these things that show up in our lives, the, judge, the judgment, and all of those things that are constantly with us all the time because we, it's again part of the human condition. But if we can learn to turn the volume down on the yeah. ego, And really determine, actually, is this voice useful right now or is it not? And you can then decide. But I think you can't rely on your mind to tell you whether it's right or wrong. I think you have to go to your place of knowing, Mm. which resides really, I would say, in the depth of your, if it's in the, I would say it's in your belly, Mm. you know, your gut, your intuition, your place of knowing. And I think when we go to thinking or feeling, we'll be very led by ego. Because our thinking is, well, it's what we know it's familiar, it's familiar Mm -hmm. territory. Whereas when we go to what we what we feel, we're talking about, well, oh God, no, we need to protect ourselves, keep ourselves safe, we don't wanna get hurt. And then when we have we go to our place of knowing, we can get our real truth.
0: Mm. And the thing is, there's when we there isn't any positive connotations to the word ego, because I think I my instant thought when I hear the word ego is somebody who constantly boasts about something oh. so egotistical yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but really and truly like you being a people pleaser is you working for your own ego just as an example yeah. i did a podcast episode about dating so me and my friends we were talking about dating scenarios so one um one of my friends we were talking about what would you do if you were dating a guy who, whose mum you met for the first time and she's giving clear signs that she doesn't like you. She doesn't know you, but she's giving clear signs that she doesn't like you. And both of my friends were like, well, you know, it's kind of tough luck. You have to take me as I am. And I was honest and I said, my answer would be, my answer was is that I would work harder for her to like, like me than the guy I'm actually dating because you want her approval <sighs> mm-hmm. and her not liking me is so uncomfortable that I'm willing to completely change myself in order for her for somebody who doesn't know me to like me and that is me working for my ego yeah. because I need to like you said be a chameleon. In order to, or to, be, yeah. to be validated, to, to be be, validated. To be
1: liked, yeah, to, to please others. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Mm. But is, um, would you say that people pleasing is something that you've completely cured yourself from? That's a good question.
1: Um, I would say this is a lifelong journey. So I think most of the time, yes. As a human being, you get triggered. People might say things, or you might find yourselves in a circumstance or situation where you do get triggered, and that old pattern kind of creeps up again mm. and starts to, you know, make you fall into some of those old habits. I think the key thing is is that once you're aware of it, you can catch it yeah. and and quickly change your perspective mm. or viewpoint. But I would say that I would say that after writing the book and doing all the the journeying that I've done so far, I would say that that happens less than it ever has in my life. And Mm. I think realistically, I think the key thing is, is actually just being comfortable with who you are. Mm. And I think now at my age, I'm very comfortable with who I am. Mm. And actually I'm not everybody's
0: cup of tea. So that's okay. That's okay. That's all right. So the next part I want to talk about is uh, living with joy. Mm -hmm. So emotional well being is one of the fundamental pillars of health. Joy sits right in the center of building a healthy life. However, most of us confuse joy for happiness and there is a distinct difference between them. Joy is living in the present, being in the moment, and it can stay with us because it is something we draw upon from deep within. Whereas happiness is temporary, it is transient and very fickle. It can be present one moment and gone in the next. True joy is constant. Mm-hmm. So when I read that, I thought, yeah, absolutely. I throw, I throw around this word. We all, we all do it. We all throw around this word. Like I want to be happy. Happiness is fickle because I could feel completely happy one day Mm -hmm. and something as tiny as being inconvenienced can destroy that happiness. Mm -hmm. And that it's such a massive difference between what you were talking about, about joy and happiness. Is that what you were?
1: Yeah, because I think joy is inherent. I think joy lives deep within yeah. our deepest part of ourselves. And I think joy is that kind of well that we can tap into anytime if we feel truly connected with who yes. we are. I think what we seek, most of us, is happiness, which becomes more of a quick fix happiness. And it's a bit like a drug, isn't it? You know, the more you, you the more you don't have it, the more you search for yeah. it, the more you get it, the more you want more of it. And I think for me, if we can find joy, we then have that happiness, mm. but actually it's a deeper sense. And I think and that's one of the things that, that meditation has given me and all the other things that I've learned over the years is that all we have to do is tap into ourselves and it's all there. Mm. And, but again, we forget. And so it's good to yeah. remind ourselves that it's there. Yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely absolutely and I think as well like for me now I try and have this is one of the um, <laughs> one of the pages in the book where I have this mantra in my head like happiness is fickle joy is constant I say that to myself all the time and those are your words and I always um try and remember this especially when I'm with my children because I always think to myself I won't be happy until I know that Everybody is safe and loved, and ha- they're going to be happy. For- they're going to grow up to be emotionally healthy, and they're going to be amazing children who will achieve lots when they're 18 or whatever. And that is happiness. I'm thinking to myself, I will be happy when that happens. But obviously, raising children is a roller coaster, nice. and something as minor as like sort of for example, one of my sons has got a cold right now, and that could tear my happiness. I'm thinking, oh no, I don't want to see him suffer. I don't want to see him be ill. And I'm thinking, but hold on, you were happy yesterday. What's going on? And I try and think of joy when. So when my son is asking me to play with him, yeah. he's only two years old, and I know I'm never present for that. Sometimes I think, oh, I've got things to do, and I'm, my mind is elsewhere. But when I find myself just thinking. Don't worry about that. Play yeah. for a minute. That's what true joy is. Yeah. And then I, I find myself playing with cars, pretending, making noises and stuff. And I'm looking, I'm thinking, this is joy. Well, it's fun. It's, it's a lightness. Yeah. That lightness. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a great word. It's a lightness. Yeah. And, it's, and that lightness is, would you say that that's hard to come by? I think it is if you're not in the moment. Yeah.
1: I think if you're too busy thinking about the past, or too busy planning for the future, I think you miss those golden moments, those moments of sheer joy, bliss, total contentment and fulfillment. Um, Doing simple things brings simple pleasures, Mm. I think. But we spend most of our time in the past or the future. We very rarely spend a lot of time in the moment. But I think if we can spend time in the moment, then that can give us that joy.
0: Thank you so much, Gillian. Um, We have to uh, end now, unfortunately, but I could talk to you all day. <laughs> you are such an inspiration to me. Thank you so much for this book, and I was in awe of you even before I met you today. Just by reading this book um, and meeting you today, and to have this discussion is just an icing on the top of the cake. If it's all right, I'd like to finish with um, you answering some quick fire questions. Sure. So I will start a sentence, and you finish it off for me. (laughs) You could take your time if you want, it's fine. Um, Our greatest battle is... With ourselves. You know, I had um, a podcast session with um, Vika last week and she said exactly the same (laughs) thing. Our greatest battle is (laughs) with ourselves. Say no more. Absolutely true. Um, I would tell my younger self to... Be strong, be bold and believe in yourself. The first step to finding peace is quieting the mind if you've made it this far I just want to thank you for your time I hope this episode inspired and entertained you if you wish to connect with me or ask my guest anything send me an email on flakyquestions at gmail.com that's f-l-a-k-e-y questions at gmail.com Stay free, curious and kind. Bye for now.